Today at the SDGI Directors in Dialogue, what Maisie New directors Scott McGeehy and David Siegel join Irish director and SDGI member Michael Kinnards in conversation. Let's talk about what Maisie New first in terms of um, 1997 Henry James novel. How did this come about? How did you decide this is something, you know, we need to see in 2013? <laughs> we actually, you know, we, we were shown the script, basically. We, neither of us had read the novel before we read the screenplay. That had been, the screenplay had been written, I think, a dozen years before we read it. Mm-hmm. And it, did, it had been around for quite a while. Even. And, um, we read the screenplay, and there was something about the screenplay that surprised us, I think. You know, initially, we were told it was a story about custody battle and a little girl, you know, kind of seen through her eyes and, and we weren't really attracted to that idea of, you know, for making a movie, but the screenplay was sort of laid on its feet in an unexpected way and um, it got us interested. We went back then and read the Henry James mm-hmm. um, for the first time, both of us, um, and we're kind of surprised by how um, modern and kind of forward-looking it was. Um, but really it was the idea of the little girl's point of view, I think, that really kind of hooked us. So, and you really um, get across that point of view so well. Obviously, you're spending a lot of time at her, you know, height, um, very close in, very intimate kind of camera. So maybe talk about that, how, how the, that approach, how you decided to make those choices and, you know, um, talking to that stuff out with your cinematographer. How did you, um, it was obviously very conscious decision is to kind of get that across. Yeah, well, you, you know, when you, when you, once you start out, trying to do something like that, it kind of creates its own program for shooting a film. So, you know, all the things that every director, every filmmaker needs to think about in terms of, you know, how to actually shoot a film, where the camera is, how high it's going to be, what's going to come in and out of frame, who else we're going to see, what sounds we'll hear and not hear, that all kind of gets distilled down when everything is biased so completely towards one individual. And when that one individual is three and a half feet tall, it reduces that yeah. <laughs> and more. Yeah. So, like right there, it, it already starts to limit, you know, necessarily what can and can't be photographed. And Which is in a really good way. Yeah, we, yeah. we really like having that kind of limitation on us when we're working. It really helps the creative process. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Just uh, yeah, you could tell that it was very clearly there was some controlling ideas that you very much sort of worked from. Um, the kind of recurring image of of Maisie waking up in different beds again was that that was a really sort of that and, and her being just alone in a, in a very big, you know, little girl in a very big frame. You could, it was an awful lot of that. And that's, the, you know, really powerful images that really stay with you. Um, Thank you. It, it, was, it was something that kind of kept growing for us, you know, in part because we found the right little girl. You know, that the more we work with Onata and, you know, the more we work with her on set, the more we work with the kind of footage as we were cutting, we really, you know, found ourselves being able to kind of push more and more of the film kind of onto her, if you know what I mean, like more, more and more trusting her close-ups or, you know, kind of not showing like coverage of the adults that we had and just playing scenes on her reactions just kind of became more and more a theme of, of you know, the process. I suppose that organically brings us to her performance, which is, is, is really stunning. And I suppose I love it. It's the the restraint she shows, you know, the restraint in the performances. I don't think, does she... Does she cry in the film once? I don't think. Um, she, has, she has one tear. One tear, yeah, yeah of course, yeah, there is one tear. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I suppose, talk me through your process with working with her. 
in terms of rehearsals and getting that kind of performance. Uh, I, I remember I was at a masterclass with Oliver Hirschbiegel, the German director of Downfall, and he was, he's got this theory that basically there's, particularly with, we see it with, with kids, that actors just, it's in their DNA. They just either have it or they don't, and you just have to cast really, really well and find, find that person and then just let them off. Did you find it with that, or did you work a lot of rehearsals? And talk us through that. I mean, I think I would agree with him to a large, to a large extent. Um, you know, the, with, with Onata, she, you know, she really has the most, uh, one of the most natural abilities to just kind of tune out the rest of the world um, of any actor we've, we've ever worked with. So we had a very extraordinary, we, we believed we had a very extraordinary kid on, kid on our hands. So like our, we sort of viewed our job as just keeping her involved in what it was she was doing because if, if she were in fact involved, she was really terrific. So her mother was extremely helpful to us in making sure that Anata knew her lines every day and understood what the kind of story is what the story of each day's shooting was going to be. And when she showed up every day, this, this little six-year-old child showed up every day just wanting to be there, just with nothing but enthusiasm. And it really had a big effect, a really big positive effect on everyone involved. And tell me, did you, did Joanna, um, Joanna Thunderham and, and Alexander, so the, the, I suppose the... The relationship and the warmth and the sort of closeness they have in the film is, it grows through the film. But did you spend? A, did they get to spend a lot of time together beforehand? Or did you work with them, or did that just sort of naturally again happen organically? Well, that's actually quite interesting. Alexander had some time before we started working, so he actually came to New York and, um, you know, right in this apartment, actually got to know Onata pretty well. Like the, the first time they met, they were on the ground, you know, drawing pictures together, and and their relationship. It was quite quick, but but quite deep. He spent a lot of time, really, you know, kind of getting her trust, and really, they, they just adored each other. Um, Joanna, on the other hand, we cast quite late in the process, and she, I think she didn't show up on set until we'd already been working maybe a week and a half or something because she was busy doing some other things. You know, in fact, David and I didn't even meet her in person. We we interviewed her on Skype wow, um, okay. as she was working when we were casting. Um, so we didn't meet her until quite late in the process, but. You know, for Onata, she was this brand new person. And the very first scene they had to do together was a scene at the school when um, uh, Alexander's character, Lincoln, is coming to pick Onata up for the very first time and kind of introduces himself as Susanna's new husband. Mm -hmm. So in the scene, you know, Onata is, you know, adores her nanny, um, Margot, and is clinging to her and is afraid of this stranger, Lincoln. Um, And, you know, but it was Onata's first day meeting Joanna and, and, uh, she, and, and, and adored Alexander. <laughs> the, the irony like, was right there for her. She, she, she like, was told the situation, kind of understood what was expected of her, and she just looked at David and I and said, you know, this would be perfect if it were yeah. the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, think, I think that's what's great about her performance is that you just see how, how smart she is as a kid. She doesn't have to do anything. You just see when the parents are talking, when they're lying to her, when they're using, you, you see she gets it and she knows exactly what they're doing, you know, so it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. Um, so do one, you want- we, we, one thing we didn't do was over-rehearse her beforehand. We, we, that, that was something that we sort of, just in, in auditioning her, we came to believe that it was better to, to not rehearse too much in advance. Okay. That's, that's really interesting, yeah. Um, Joanna then, again, 
I had never seen her before, and I was going, this girl's got a really... I used to go out with a, with a, with a Glaswegian girl, and I was going, this one's got a really, really good Glasgow accent for an American actress. <laughs> so um, tell me about... So, so you found her, um, obviously saw some previous work, and then just... It's a big risk to do that, you know, to you know, cast someone so pivotal. I get, you know, we, were, we were lucky enough to have a, a, another actress, you know, Mm. An American star actually fall away because of scheduling problems. So we had to cast quickly that role. And so that just, in the panic of that, the, the, the producers just sort of allowed us to cast whoever <laughs> we wanted. And we even told about Joanna and we watched some of what, what she had done and then talked to her via Skype, as Scott said. And we just thought she'd be great. Yeah. It was, it was a tough role to cast because, like, Margot's behavior is kind of hard to understand. Like, she. she she marries Beale, and we and it's a it's a very weird thing to do to marry Beale, and 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 how the audience feels when she does that is really crucial to, um, you know, kind of the movie working emotionally. Like if the if the audience rejects her for making that decision to marry Beale, it'd be hard to win her back. So finding the girl who, I think, felt vulnerable and innocent enough to kind of blunder into that mistake and still be forgiven, um, that was really kind of a challenge when we were like looking at girls. Mm-hmm. Who, who might play that role? Yeah. Um, but Joanna walked that line for us really deftly. Yeah, absolutely. No, she's 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 sparkling in it, and, and there's that 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 great scene when she breaks down. She says, "You know, I've done everything right. You know, I've supposed everything you're supposed to do." Really, so says it all about her. She's she's tried to, you know, do the right thing always. You know, um, so that, I, I, and in many ways, obviously, it's really easy to kind of go with their characters, and but it, it's very it's fascinating to watch them that. If you want to say, the, I wouldn't call them the villains, but the two, um, the, the, Julianne Moore and Steve Coogan, the parents, and that they're, you know, they are in, you know, pretty odious in many ways in terms of what they do. <laughs> but you see the humanity, you see the love, you see all the three dimensional qualities, and I think um, Steve Coogan is just a fascinating piece of casting. Obviously, over here he's, you know, right now he's playing all over the place in his new um, Alan Partridge movie. Can't wait to see that. It's it's great. It's really good fun, actually. Um, and it's it's just his versatility is extraordinary. Like he is he's an extraordinary actor. I mean, again, he blew me away in this. Um, tell us a little bit about working with him. How that process was. You know, how did he need a lot from you guys, or is just like, oh, let me add it. You know, he was the first person that's gotten my thought of for the role, and it, it took a little bit of convincing on the producer's part, just because he isn't. You know, he isn't the kind of star over here that he is. Um, in the UK, and but we've been fans for a really long time, and um, just immediately thought he'd be right. You know, one because we wanted him to bring a little bit of lightness and humor to it, um, and two because we'd seen his dramatic work and knew that he was a really fine actor. And um, and so, you know, luckily we wound up with. I mean, it rarely happens that you wind up with your first choice for roles, but Steve really was our first choice, and he. Um, you know, he came over and was. Uh, I mean, we just had a great working relationship with him. I mean, he's. Uh, you know, he's. He has so much experience and he's so well known as a comedian. But you know, his chops as an actor are really. They're really something. A lot of the fighting between he and, and Susanna, you know, those two characters, a lot of their, you know, kind of bickering was was underscripted. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was fun to kind of turn him loose on that and. You know, he, he he's sort of a genius at you know coming up with funny, um, funny fight lines to say. Yeah, 
it wasn't exactly a fair fight with Julianne Moore. I mean, you know, as much as we love Julianne, she's an amazing actress. You know, Steve's looked like you know the Muhammad Ali of, <laughs> <laughs> of kind of fierce repartee and right. He kept having to give her lines to help her win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We <laughs> them fighting win every time. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, you you definitely got a sense that you do a thing, and I, you know I've seen it in many films where. You see the scene where the kid listens to the parents fight, and it, and it can feel really heavy-handed. But in this film, because it's it's made it's such a f- sort of part of the fabric of the film, from her point of view, seeing these kind of the sound design is really really smart. Um, and I was I suppose you've already answered the question was that you know it felt very a lot of it felt very improv, it felt very real, and and uh, it must have been sort of so you, I guess you just shot a lot of that stuff, you know, anyway for real, and then played under what you could in terms of sound and stuff, yeah. Well, you know, a lot of it, if you, if you think back, you know, very little of it is actually on screen. It's mostly overheard. So it was easy to, you know, sit with a recorder and not have to worry about actually shooting film or lighting the set and let the two of them and work with the two of them, you know, to, to get it right. Great. Okay. That gives you a beautiful freedom as well yourself. You, you know, you can really sort of yeah. just stretch it. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, what was I going to ask you about? Yeah, I just, I suppose I was, a question about for myself almost is about, Characters like that, from Julianne's point of view, in terms of particularly, um, obviously she's such a, an amazing actress and she wouldn't do this anyway, but not judging a character like that. Is that something you have to talk about in any way with, or, you know, do, do you just kind of, when you're just, you know, when you're talking through the character with her, was that hard, was that a difficulty at all, or was it just very much, you know, she was able to find the humanity always in that, find the in-betweens, you know? It's, a, it's an interesting question because I would say Julianne did judge Susanna pretty harshly, like as a mother. Like yeah. she, like, and, and I was, you know, her, she knew exactly what Susanna was doing wrong all the time. And it was important to her to get that right. Like exactly what a monster to, to, you know, to understand that she, as bad a mother as she was, she loved her daughter. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she, you know, was, in the end, capable of enough self-reflection, you know, just this much maybe, but enough self-reflection to, you know, at least make one decision that was right for her daughter at one moment in the movie. Um, so she was a really nice collaborator through all of that. Like she, she really kept a good eye on, on keeping that balance. And, and how does it work for you, for you to, I suppose technically in terms of co-directing, how do you, do you sort of, just share everything together, talk everything around, or are you specifically one's more visual and one's more performance, or do you, how does it work? We, we really actually do do it all together. I mean, our roles on set are a little bit different, but uh, just a little bit. We, you know, we rehearse the actors together and we plan all of our shot listing together and all of our storyboarding, and you know, we write together as well, so mm-hmm. you know, that's often the basis of our work, that we didn't write this script. Yeah. This, uh, and, you know, after as many years as we've been working together, you know, we can, you know, on some level kind of hear each other thinking. And so it, it goes very fluidly that way. Yeah, it must, must be lovely to have a, your bro beside you, though, to, <laughs> um, <laughs> when you run out of ideas going, what do we do here next? Yeah. Um, I'm going to turn it over to the audience now for, see, see, bring them in for a bit, and then I'll, I'll come back with a couple other questions maybe. So, sure. okay, guys. Um, okay. Birch. So what's going to happen is basically they're going to shout at me and I'm going to um, repeat the question, I think. All right, okay, great. Oh. 
Hi guys, it's really lovely to have you here and we're, you know, the film's coming out in two weeks so we really, um, you know, we hope uh, it does really, really well. But just as a personal level, as a mother, I'm just really interested to know, are you both parents? And for, I mean, I was just on tender hooks for the second half of the film, so worried that she would end up uh, back with her mother. And I suppose a lot of the thing is, the reality of the situation is there are a lot of children out there that unfortunately end up with the two parents uh, in those situations. And I'm, I'm just wondering, I was so relieved, so thank you for having such a happy ending. But I'm just wondering, did you think of probably a slightly more realistic ending, which might have been that they ended up with um, with the mother? Um, well, um, you know, neither one of us are parents, and I think that's the only reason we could make the film, because my parent would really put a child through that. <laughs> but, but we we like the ending. We like the ending sort of demonstrating to some degree that Maisie is simply just moving forward, has found a way to move forward in her life. You know, it, it's not really saying this might happen or this this is going to happen, but really that this this child has found a way to actually take a step forward in her life, and that and that there's forward there's forward progress there. That you know, we end on the idea of movement as opposed to any kind of specific resolution. Okay, who's next? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Was there any uh, big differences when you read the novel? You know, you went, oh, that's, that's good. They left that in or took that out. Did you hear that? Probably not. Did not. Uh, no, I didn't. So, is there any major differences that you, when you read the novel, uh, relative to the script, going, you know, it's, it's great that they left that in, or, um, wow, uh, you know, I really wish they put that in, or things like that, you know? No, no. The screenplay is so different from the novel in so many ways. Um, you know, it, it spans, I think, six years in Maisie's life, maybe longer, I, I can't remember now, but, um, and uh, Mrs. Wicks, the kind of older any character, who's, you know, tiny little part in our movie, is a major character in, in the screenplay, and, and in the end, Maisie goes off with her in the book. Um, so it, the, the, the screenplay really is just a kind of um, you know, very loose adaptation of of, of the James, but you know, we went back and read the book. I think you know, wondering if there was going to be you know, if it was going to be full of ideas that we wanted to kind of bring into the screenplay somehow. And there really wasn't anything I can remember at all. I don't I don't think we brought anything except kind of a spirit, you know, with us, you know, back from the James and into the process of making the movie. But there was an idea in the book. Um, Maisie's mother is a billiards player. Um, and we both really like that idea, just because the, the just seeing her playing billiards, and then you know the metaphor of the billiard ball kind of moving around is something James made a lot of. And um, we we always kind of wished there was a place for that in our movie, but we never quite figured that out. I, I haven't read the book myself either, but uh, and I was going to definitely do it for prepping for this, but um, <laughs> um, but I was it's I've you know I did my Wikipedia style knowledge of it was um, it's a pretty it's a pretty you know, skating indictment of Victorian England. Were you thinking in terms of the, I suppose, what kind of comment are you making about parenting in in, in America at the moment? Or is, is there a kind of comment you think there? I, I wouldn't say that we were trying to make any specific commentary. I mean, it's the story of one particular girl in, in you know, in a particular time. Um, it's certainly the kind of thing that happens to kids all the time. So 
you could say it's a, a way it's a, you know, it has cultural relevance. Um, but we weren't really trying to be, to, to portray anything that was commentary-like in any way. I mean, the interesting thing about the, one of the interesting things about the book is that, you know, the relevancy of the issues for Maisie in 1897 and the relevancy for Maisie in 2013 aren't so different, even though the story is, in a way, very, very different. And that, 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 that kind of continues to surprise us a little bit. Certainly in the sense of, uh, you know, buying off a kid with lots and lots of toys, definitely. Again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, anything else? Loads. Okay. Okay, subject matter is in many ways quite heavy and emotional, but the tone is, is you manage to get a really light kind of tone. How, so you want to say, how did you get the balance both in terms of on set? Was it yeah. particularly on set? Or what? And in, like, in, in the film as well. In, in, and in the film as well, just finding that kind of balance. That was really, you know, I, I hope whoever asked that question was saying it because they enjoyed that balance. <laughs> because it was something that we really tried hard to strike. She's giving the thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> we were, we really spoke, we talked a lot with Giles, the cinematographer, and Kelly, the designer, and the costumer, Stacey Patat, about, about trying to create, with Giles the light, and with Kelly the sets, and with Stacey with the costumes, that sense of um, what a child's experience and what a child's feeling in this particular moment might be. Because we, we thought it was critical that the movie not get weighted down too much, that it had to be a kind of simple kind of storytelling and that the lightness and the color and the feel of the movie had to feel like it was coming out of Maisie to some degree, as, as well as with Nicaragua in terms of writing the score. Yeah. I, I'd say the, the one other element of that that we thought a lot about was the casting of Lincoln. Um, that we, 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 I mean, his role in the film is kind of, you know, he's sort of Mr. Fun. Like, whenever she's with him, there's a kind of lightness in her. Um, and we thought a lot about who could fill that spot. And you know, what, it's a funny thing to say, but one of the things that reassured us about Alexander was remembering his role in Zoolander. And I know <laughs> he was one of the models with the gas pipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so we knew he had a kind of funny side. There's and we some, clearly something. Big... Not much of his work. So, when we met him, we could see that he was a very gentle, kind of easygoing, and kind of light-hearted guy. But um, but it was that role in Zoolander that kind of made us interesting. There's there's definitely some big Zoolander fans here, obviously behind me. <laughs> <laughs> one one of the, the the great things you did, I think, with, within that is, you I, I'm assuming you you um you chose to shoot so many of those light moments, um, particularly with with um with Lincoln and and Margot in very natural settings. There's a lot of water. There's a lot of trees behind them, and this kind of, they feel very natural, you know, and then you've got the chaos and the interiors of, this This contrast works incredibly well, I suppose, and that's one of the, the things tonally that's managed really, really, really brilliantly, I think, so, well done. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, anything else? There's loads of other stuff. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, uh, Maisie seems to be quite accepting of, of everything that happens to her in the world as it presents itself. Did you ever think about going the opposite way and have like Maisie throw stuff at the mom? And <laughs> how did you, you know, just approaching her, her character with that? You know? 
You know, Carol and Nancy, you know, that was their approach with the script, and, and they were taking their cues from the book, um, that, that Maisie is a, she's a child with a certain kind of gener generosity of spirit, and, and you, know, you, could, you could write the story in many different ways, but that isn't the way they chose to write the script, um, or James, you know, the character, I should say write the character, and, and we like that because, it, you know, it, you know, she's the, you know, she's the, she's the core, she's the, the kind of emotional and sort of ethical in a weird way center of the movie yeah. and um, we think that's interesting. So the the music and, and the scores there's an awful a lot of the music seems to remind her of like music boxes and childlike music and things like that obviously was a quite intentional then to, to get that again Margot's perspective Margot's world view into it yeah yeah I mean that was the conversation about the music with the composer from the get-go is that we wanted you know it was definitely Maisie's Maisie's musical kind of expression of what we were looking for I mean you know Susanna's music is a part of the movie also and it's you know it's a harder edge just the kills you know songs that she sings is a you know kind of harder edge kind of music and we wanted Maisie's Maisie sound to have a kind of innocence and openness and hopefulness and you know a very human um, quality and Nick Nick we've never worked with him before but he was a great collaborator that way he, he uh, you know, just generated idea after idea that um, kind of really captured you know, kind of helped underscore the emotion while at the same time kind of you know, being that kind of character for us. I mean, we were hoping that, we were hoping that you know, that the, the score had a childlike quality without um, feeling like children's music. Yeah, no, I think that definitely comes across. And in terms of, for, for Suzanne's, um, Suzanne's music, was, was there any particular kind of um, sort of rock star anything we were modeling her stuff on? Or I couldn't help but thinking of, um, obviously, Sean Penn um, shot this, this Must Be The Place um, in Ireland uh, a couple of years ago and I was thinking if that came out before your movie it would very much look like uh, or if, if this movie came out before this would be the place it would very much like he was trying to model himself on, on Julianne's character <laughs> 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 um, so there wasn't there's no one in particular she was channeling you think or I mean she you know to some degree Alison Mossart you know from the Kills yeah. was um, just like from a kind of style perspective we were I mean Julie, I know Julie was looking at her a little bit I think Julie, Julianne talks about having looked at Patti Smith and uh, I think Courtney Love a little bit. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, we really used we used once we decided on the kills. We really used the sound of the kills as a way of uh, drawing inspiration for you know the rest of the look of the character. Okay, great. The, the kills happened to be playing in New York right around the time we were doing our first table reading for the film. So all the cast had been assembled. So. We got to take Julie and Alex and and um, Steve Coogan to see the kills and meet Allison and Jamie. It was a you know, kind of big night out, like where we were all kind of getting to know each other. Right. It was super fun, and, and but watching Julianne just kind of like watch Allison perform was really a treat. Like, and she definitely like worked on some of her moves. We we saw Allison later on, and she said that Allison said she didn't know she had moves until she saw Julianne <laughs> doing her. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Um, okay. Right. The, the, the powers that be are giving me the sound, so I think that's that's pretty much it. 
Um, guys, I just want to say thank you again for um, taking your time out. Um, I think you've made a really, really special film. So uh, best of luck with it. I hope it uh, does really well here and the rest of Europe. And uh, look forward to seeing what you're making. What, what's the plans for the next one? Quick question, I suppose. No, we're not sure. We're, we're actually working on a couple of biopics on it. We've never worked from an actual person's life before, so that's going to be kind of fun. I guess by your, your, your usual four-year time, we should be looking at 2017. Is that what? No, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're trying to speed it up. Thanks okay. for your optimism. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's great things take their time, you know. Um, <laughs> okay, well, thank you again so much. I um, really appreciate it, okay? Thank you for listening to SDGI Directors and Dialogue. We would like to thank our sponsors, the Irish Film Board and the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland. For more information on the Screen Directors Guild of Ireland, visit us at www.sdgi.ie.